This week in Revolt Black News, we move forward. As we take these next steps, we have to ask ourselves, are we moving forward away from something or are we moving forward towards something? Because one is an escape, but the other is an action with intention. So what are you doing in this moment? Now there's obviously a long list of things that we have to get done. But y'all, we did not come this far to stop a few inches short of the goal line, did we? So right now we're in the final stretch. Right now we're in the last ditch effort to push that boulder up the hill that we have almost pushed to the very top. So y'all, I ask you this, are we ready to finish what we started? Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. It's been quite a week bouncing back from election night, or what I should really call election nights with all the drama that's ensued since. But one big takeaway was the power of the South. South definitely had a lot to say and still does with all the activism going on. So we brought in a couple of kings of the South. In this instance, my home state of Louisiana, to break it all down. Joining us as publisher and co-owner of the Rouge Collection, Gary Chambers Jr., also with us, Executive Vice President of Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, Damon T. Hewitt. Welcome both to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Gary, you went viral just this past summer because you were advocating for the renaming of a local high school that's currently named after Robert E. Lee. You also called out a school board member for online shopping during the meeting. Uh, What do those instances say about the fact that in 2020, this is still an issue uh, not just in the South, but in America. And how serious do you think the South is about righting the wrongs of the past? I believe that, you know, it's very accurate. The South does have something to say. I'm not sure uh, if the counterparts hear us every time, but we're not going to stop talking. We're not going to keep not going to stop pushing uh, to bring the reforms. We were successful in changing the name of Lehigh in spite of uh, the racism and bigotry that existed in uh, a school board member. Um, And we're continuing to push uh, the lever to try and move for street names to be changed, because until we dismantle the monuments of white supremacy that remain within this country, uh, we still have work to do. That's right. And Gary, tell us all what the new name of that high school is. The new name is Liberty High School, um, and they are the Mm. Patriots. uh, And the school is majority black. The school district is majority black. And so it is a win for the students of this community to not have to go into a school building this school year named after a bigot. If you haven't done it, y'all, people don't understand what it's like to be trying to get an education, to be trying to go about the work of your business, your professional Mm -hmm. day under the literal oppression of white supremacy. Everywhere you look, every street you turn on, every road you go down. um, And it's very real. So I want to say this is not just symbolism. That's going on. The work you're doing, Gary, the work you're doing, Damon, is critically important uh, to the opportunity for us as black people to have an overall first class citizenship experience. Damon, I want to ask you about some of the work your organization does. And you do a lot of things, but one of them is something that kind of got lost in a little bit of the general election hype machine. And that is the important work of the census um, and specifically why our people need to be filling out the census consistently so that our rights and needs are represented appropriately in government. Speak a bit about that work. So after the COVID pandemic, what we saw was the Trump administration trying to curtail the census, knowing that not everyone was being counted. And it's so similar to what we've seen 
at the end of the presidential election, at the end of election day. Uh, the idea was they wanted to stop counting votes uh, because they thought that would swing the balance of power. And so we have to make sure that Black votes, Black voices, and Black vitality matter and count in this country. We have to go to full spectrum and go all the way. Gary, I want to go back to uh, the viral video of you this summer. You were at a local school board meeting and, and, and you made your voice heard. You have an obligation to the people of this community and 81% of them are black. And do you need a Klan rally outside, Mr. Goday, before you end it? Talk about why you were at that local school board meeting, the capacity in which you attended that meeting, and why it was important for you to be heard there. So my capacity is I'm a graduate of uh, East Baton Rouge Parish School System. I'm also a parent of a fifth grader who attends public schools here in East Baton Rouge Parish, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is I'm not sure if we fully understand uh, the role of different civic organizations or different political organizations and how they impact our lives, right? And so our school board, it's not uh, just Betsy DeVos that impacts the education of our right. children. It's, it's the Connie Bernards on your local school board. And there's Connies in communities all over this country. They're not just white women. Some of them are uh, black. Some of them are uh, Hispanic, because it's really about who buys into the ideology uh, that opposes the liberation and the progress of all people. We have the political capacity in the Deep South to be able to make uh, monumental changes in our communities, but we've got to be involved. Got to. That's so critical. Um, this notion of Black populace being a critical mass in the South can't be overstated. I don't think people really understand, unless you're from the South or you spend a lot of time down there, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, we're running up on 50% of the populace, which means we should be having way more black officials in statewide offices. You know what I mean? Like there should be black governors in these Southern states. There should be black attorney generals in these Southern states. There should be black U.S. senators. Um, and, and that really gets me to my next question. Gary, I want to ask you, in, in addition to, of course, we know our people have been disproportionately and are still being disproportionately affected by COVID. Other than COVID, we know Biden-Harris-elect uh, administration teams are already working on that COVID task force. That's very important. Policy-wise, what else is at stake for Black folks in the South? Everything. Mm. And so what we need uh, from a President Biden, from a Vice President Harris, is that the resources uh, from the work that our brother is done around the census, when we see those numbers, where we see that black population growth, that the resources that are coming to our communities are tangible resources, not just an idea, not just us talking about doing something, but that we come up with strategic plans to resource these communities so that we can turn them around. Gary, I want to ask you, you spoke very strongly about the expectations you have from a Biden-Harris administration concerning, um, you know, listen, Biden said this, African-Americans had my back. What does Joe Biden having Black America's back look like to you, Gary? You know, I want to see Joe Biden begin to raise money for the Deep South. I've been pushing, and it's on my shirt, uh, uh, new Black leaders, right? We want to see uh, new Black leaders in leadership around this country. I respect and appreciate the work that all of our elders have done to pave a way uh, for where we are today. But as a 35-year-old Black man, I want to see young Black men and women elected to office. I want to see us resource, mm -hmm. but I want you to spend some time in the states that you're losing because the only way you win them over is to show up. The reality is Trump has come to Louisiana. Trump comes to Alabama. Trump comes to Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. He gives them the attention to draw their that support out. And I want to see the diversity of his cabinet, mm -hmm. right? Uh, just showing me yep. 
different folks in different colors. I want to know diversity of perspectives, right? So that when we start having this broad conversation about the tapestry of what America is, that we consider all of the fabric, not just the, the, the fine quilt. Mic drop. Um, I think the way the Democratic Party tends to talk to black men can be can seem elitist. Okay, it can seem as if you're only speaking to and representing a particular kind of highly educated, classically uh, establishment type of black man. That ain't gonna work. Okay, you really have to speak to all the levels of black maleness and black male electorate. And I think that is something that the party needs to look at. I guess I want to get your take on it, uh, Damon. There is new energy in these streets that has changed wow, that's not it. just conversations, but realities. We, we, we have, it's almost at the intergenerational point now. If you were in your 40s, mm. or certainly in your 50s or above, we have to look not below us, not behind us, but no. to our sides, right? And say, yeah. where's that new energy coming from and how do we build together in an intergenerational way? I appreciate that. Gary, Damon, brothers, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Um, I want to ask you before y'all leave, uh, are the Saints going to Super Bowl? We're, we're, we're going to have a good time no matter what. Okay. Ditto. Thank you, Damon. Gary, you ditto. Okay. Y'all funny. Ditto. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank y'all so much for the work you're doing. Listen, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we've got today's headlines. we got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Here are today's headlines. With 1 million COVID cases in the last 10 days alone, the United States has hit the 10 million case mark, bringing the total to over 10.3 million. Now, at this point, Texas is the only state to have 1 million cases, with California close behind at 994,000. Earlier this week, Pfizer announced that early analysis of their COVID-19 vaccine is more than 90% effective amongst their trial volunteers. Pfizer now sets its eyes on an emergency authorization from the FDA later this month with reports of enough doses to immunize up to 15 million people. And with much attention on the Affordable Care Act, the Supreme Court heard arguments earlier this week to entirely eliminate Obamacare. Brett Kavanaugh, a Trump-appointed justice, surprisingly stated that removing the individual mandate does not necessarily require for the entire law to be struck down. Similarly, Chief Justice John Roberts, a Bush appointee to the court, said this, quote, It's hard for you to argue that Congress intended the entire act to fall if the mandate was struck down. Roberts then went on to express that Republican lawmakers want the Supreme Court to strike down the entire law, but that, quote, that's not our job. The individual mandate indeed is a center point of this argument, and we will see how the court does rule. So those two justices, along with the liberal wing of the court, all on board, seem to show that all signs will show that the United States Supreme Court will uphold Obamacare by June 2021 ruling. And over to the election. This past Saturday, Joe Biden was projected as the winner of the presidential election, making him the president-elect. Now, despite the Associated Press, Politico, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News all determining that Biden won, and even the decision desk, Headquarters, who called the race over 24 hours prior to the major cable networks, all said that Biden won. However, President Trump has begun a slew of legal battles to contest the election. Despite not having any substantial evidence, Trump and his team and several Republican senators have all spread false claims of election fraud. And with all the doubt Trump and his campaign have tried to cast on this election process, 
There's a new political morning consult poll that shows 70% of Republicans believe that Joe Biden did not win a free and fair election. Listen, we await to see what comes from the courts and Trump's efforts, but so far they've gone as far as having Emily Murphy, the administrator of the General Service Administration, refusing to ascertain Biden as the winner. Now, the reason that this is important is because it is the GSA that signs off on Biden's team being allocated money to begin the transition process. And those funds are very important. They also go to things like setting up office space. And on Tuesday, President-elect Joe Biden was asked about Trump not conceding this election. Here's what he had to say. I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. Uh, The only thing that, uh, how can I say this, uh, Tactfully, I think it will not help the president's legacy. Sources are also saying that the Trump administration is deviating from a longstanding tradition of the incumbent president sharing daily briefings with the president-elect. Now, of course, since Trump seems to not want to view Biden as the president-elect, he has allegedly instructed all of his agencies and officials to not share those briefings. Now, in some good news across the globe, in Africa, congratulations have poured in for President-elect Joe Biden. Leaders of South Africa, Nigeria, Zimbabwe, Gabon, Sierra Leone, and Ethiopia have all extended their best wishes for Biden as he approaches his term. All right, that's it for today's headlines. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we've got Soledad O'Brien and Van Lathan here to discuss the age of disinformation. Stick around. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. So with the recent election, we have certainly seen the power of information and its range, everything from helpful to extremely harmful. Listen, there's all sorts of disinformation and misinformation out there, and they impact our minds, our decisions, and ultimately our actions. We want to put it all under a microscope and take a good look at the quality of information that we're being fed on a daily basis. So here to help us do that, we got the best. He's a media personality and co-host of the podcast, Higher Learning, Brother Van Lathan. Also joining us, she's a veteran journalist, an award-winning journalist who hosts Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to the show, Van and Soledad. Hi there. Hi. Okay, Soledad, I want to start with you. I want to keep it simple. We hear these terms, disinformation and misinformation. Uh, break it down. What's the difference? Because I don't want us to get it twisted like so many other uh, so-called news organizations do. Yeah, it's pretty simple. It's all about intent. So misinformation is getting something wrong. Disinformation is intentionally getting something wrong. And so you can see the kind of the wide gulf with intent as uh, what's underlying it as being so important to what someone is actually trying to do with information. It's, it's pretty simple. Disinformation is destabilizing. It's, it's what people do to hold on to and assert power. And it's what they use to sort of uh, create cracks in between in the systems that we've come to like rely on. So it's, it's potentially very, very dangerous. And we've seen almost in every authoritarian regime in history, disinformation been, has been a very, very valuable tactic in holding on to gaining and you know, seizing power. Okay, so we live in a microwave news generation, to say the very least. And listen, a lot of people only get their news from social media, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. 
Now, I don't really see a problem with that in and of itself. But what I do think is challenging is that some folks are only reading headlines on these social sites and they're not getting the full story. Soledad, I want to ask you what you think about the fact that a lot of people these days do only get their news from social media. Yeah, I, I, I rely on social media for my news mm-hmm. because my news comes through social media, right? So I'm reading right. the Washington Post. I'm reading the New York Times. I'm reading everything because it's all available on social media. So I don't think that in and of itself is problematic. Mm-hmm. But of course, because headlines are often framed to be clickbaity, yeah. it, they might not actually reflect what's in the article. And so I would actually foist the blame more on the people who write clickbaity headlines than the folks who are basically trying to zip through and try to understand what's happening as they're reading their social media feed. Then you're going to let Soledad talk about you right in your face just like that. You used to work for TMZ, brother. That's the king of clickbait. And, uh... <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not with them anymore. About no, you're not. I'm just kidding. kidding. It was taught to take the conflict and whatever you can put it right in the headline. Mm. So that you drive people to what it is. See, that's not even that's not news. Mm. That's capitalism. That's commerce. That's clicks. We want this to go everywhere, right? Right. I, I guess the thing is, is you have to always look at the intention of the news organization that you are consuming, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump started offline, right? Trump said that he had the biggest rallies ever. Right. He had the biggest inauguration, ever, and it was all a lie. The question is, why were there media organizations then? that didn't call him on that lie that remained reputable for four years after that. Now you have Americans re-examining their democracy because of a president who is actually telling them things that didn't happen. What happens with both misinformation and disinformation is it poisons the well. Mm. Then things get very uh, confusing. Clarity is uh, hard to find. And then you just don't know who or what to trust because someone has allowed the well to be poisoned. And so it, it's a disservice to everybody and, and much a disservice to journalism too. And I, I think that in some ways, reporters had a hand in their own undermining, if you will. Soledad, something you're extremely good at on that long list is calling out bullshit on social media and Twitter in particular. But recently <laughs> you called Rick Santorum an enabler. Uh, And while some people like the fact that people like Rick Santorum show up on these panels to allegedly provide balance, there is a point where it's uh, providing balance perspective, uh, and then there's a point where it is just pure bullshit. Soledad, for you, where is that line? What does balance mean? A reporter can tell you what the White House says, right? Mm. So what Rick Santorum is doing is that he's massaging these talking points and delivering them as if they are factual. The president, I believe he said, is willing to negotiate his departure. That's not a thing. Uh, The other thing that you could do is make sure that you do not ever platform lies. You do not give a space to, you know, it's this idea of, I know nobody believes it, but you know what? I do want to explore, are black people not as smart as white people? I mean, I'm not saying I I believe it. I'm just saying, you know, we could be discussing. Are women incompetent and unable to be leaders? I mean, I'm not saying I believe it. I'm just saying it could be a topic. We all understand what you're doing, right? Is you're creating a space platform for something that is uh is it needs to be framed differently i think and i think that's hugely problematic and i think he's a big perpetrator of you know of of spinning and platforming lies from the white house the what we're talking about is not super complicated right mm-hmm. like i grew up south Baton rouge louisiana right i walk into barbershops you walk in the barbershop everybody talking everybody's trying to get their opinions off right i'm a little guy i look around at everybody talking 
You know what the barbers tell me? Hey, eh, turn the turn the clippers off. Eh. See the guy on the end? He full of shit. Don't listen to him. <laughs> That's how you have right. a substantive conversation about anything. I don't care what it is. For some reason in America, we have some sort of virtue disease a lot of times at the tops of these institutions. And this disease says that every idea has a seat at the table, except mm. it doesn't. Right. The president of the United States tweeted, retweeted, that Joe Biden tried to have SEAL Team 6 killed. Where are we? Like, we're supposed to act like that's normal? So what I'm saying is, it's going to be up to people to put these horses back in the barn, and you're not going to be able to do it gently. I promise you. You might look at America, and your vision of America, your view of America, might tell you all of these truths, things that you think are true about your life. We need to be fiscally conservative. We need to be pro-life. Uh, you need to have 10,000 guns, all of those things. And you might feel like America is telling you that, right? Okay. And then on the other side, you might look at America and tell you that, that we need to have robust social programs. Mm -hmm. We need to outlaw assault weapons. And you can both look at these things. And the thing about it is neither one of those things, those outlooks, they don't have to be a lie. What we can't have differing views on are the informational facts that lead us to believe what it is that we believe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can't want the right to have 10,000 guns because you think that a bunch of blacks and Mexicans are about to overrun your farm at any time and take it over. That's not true. Right. So the glitch is not on either side of the political aisle intellectually. The glitch is in the middle. Mm. And the people who are exploiting the glitch that, is, that are in the middle this is the part that drives me crazy. They're doing it on purpose. We're like, at some point, we're gonna have to have the bravery to call a lie a lie. We've talked about that a lot. And that's the only way you get rid of the glitch in the middle. I'm completely okay with having completely differing views of how this country should be ran and organized. I think that's healthy for America. But I'm not okay with people lying to get to where they're going. There's a saying, you know, when you, have, when you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. And I think mm. part of the problem is that TV shows are set up as arguments, where in real life, people actually aren't divided that way. There's a great poll the other day. It was on Fox News. And uh, <laughs> they asked uh, Fox News viewers about their take on Black Lives Matter. Mm. I'm going to get some of these numbers wrong, but I'm supposed to write. Mm. High 70s supported. They asked them about their support for the ACA. 80% supported. They asked them their support for Roe v. Wade. 80 something percent support, like complete. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so you think you're this, this bubble of conservatism, but you're really not. Like there's a certain, you could put those people who are answering that poll in a room with a bunch of progressives and there'd be a lot of Venn diagrammy areas of overlap, right? There just would be. Now there'd be some things where I grew up here and I believe this, my religion says that for sure. But actually, there's a lot what people have in common. I think what happens is people have come to believe that good, uh, a good interview or a good story or good TV is conflict. Well, yeah. if that's what you believe, then yeah, not bother to educate anybody and you will just try to scare the crap out of people all the time. Well, I don't know if the, either of you had heard, but I joined this new show called The Real Housewives of New York. And what I can tell you, Soledad, without spilling too much tea, Lots of Venn diagramming going on with me and the ladies. 
I'm going to leave that right there. Uh, Soledad O'Brien, <laughs> Van Lathan. <laughs> uh, you guys are incredible. I look up to you both, revere you both for your work and the people that you are. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, listen, we're going to head to a break. When we come thank back, you. yes, of course, thank Dustin you. Ross joins us for Black Excellence in Entertainment. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now it's one of my favorite times of the show, y'all. Time to get into this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. Joining is my boo. You'll recognize him, of course, from his podcast, The Friend Zone, or from being my co-host on my new podcast, Holding Court with Ebony K. Williams. Dustin Ross is in the building. How you doing, babe? That's right. That's right. Hey, Ebony, it's so glad to be with you here. Just like I am uh, glad to be with you over there, too. So I feel good. Yes, we're going to get started with Black Excellence uh, at the top. We start at the top with this one. Uh, Queen Bee, Miss Beyonce knows yes. Carter, who's begun, yes, a multi-year partnership with Peloton for a series of HBCU-themed workouts, all based off of her Coachella-themed concert, of course, Homecoming. Now, the good news continues because Beyonce and Peloton are also giving a two-year membership to students across 10 different HBCUs. How do we feel about it, Dustin? I think this is fantastic. Uh, shout out to Beyonce for being such a master over her own content. Mm. Homecoming has just been the gift that's kept on giving. Uh, it won a Grammy for best uh, something or other, some type of Grammy award it did win though. And now look what she's mm -hmm. birthed from it, you know, with this beautiful partnership. So I think it's dope. It is, and it just looks good. Like it's a good look, literally. Uh, of course, all of us on social media see the drops of uh, Ivy Park, and then the, she's with the Peloton joints. I'm a Peloton rider. Don't ask me the last time I rode. That's not your business. That's not your business. <laughs> um, however, however, uh, Tunde, my boy Alexander Toussaint, um, two um, phenomenal, very popular black Peloton instructors are super excited about this partnership with B. And listen, I just love to see it. So, Dustin, the good news continues in the Carter family. The black excellence okay. uh, of the family never stops. This time, it's eight-year-old Blue Ivy Carter. She's going to narrate Matthew Cherry's audible version of Hair Love. Now, we know Matthew, of course, mm. just casually won an Oscar. It was casual Oscar earlier this just year for Hair Oscar Love. like that. You know, just doing that. Uh, of course, he won the Oscar for Best animated short film. How do we feel about Baby Blue Ivy? Well, I think this is quite poetic because if you remember uh, when Blue was a small child, people had a lot to say about her hair and how Beyonce and Jay-Z mm. were choosing to allow her hair to be natural and people, they weren't so nice about it. So to me, it's, it's a full circle moment. Uh, who better mm. to do it, to narrate a project like that than Blue Ivy? So I think that's great. Again, Beyonce's genius once again. People were quite trifling, right? We can say it plainly. This is a this is Black Family show we're talking about, Dustin. People were raggedy, yeah. uh, making all kinds of commentary about this young lady's edges, and she was a baby. Yeah. Um. So I think for her yeah. to narrate hair love is is beautiful irony and a listen. Um. <clears throat> just yet another bag uh, for a young lady who's not even ten years old. We love to see that. For sure. So in other news, Dustin, with Audible, the podcast and audiobook platform has inked a first look deal, this time with Steph Curry's Unanimous Media. Steph's company has already got two podcasts in Audible's pipeline, one documentary called The Greatest Story Never Told, and an interview show that I actually love called 15 Minutes from Home. 
You know, Steph's another one. Uh, you talk about just being an athlete, also being an entrepreneur. Steph is very serious, Dustin, in terms of this content creation game. What do you think about this partnership? Again, love to see it. Uh, Steph Curry, I love what he's done as far as expanding his portfolio and the reach of things that he has his hands on and in. People are quite interested in him as a personality now. They love the relationship that he has with his wife, Aisha, and their beautiful children. So I think it's a natural progression for him. And you know what, Ebony? I'll be listening. Yeah, I know you do. Listen, and I, I think these mega brand partnerships, Dustin, with these titans of industry, these black kings and queens, it's just such a good foundation, frankly, yes, for the is. likes of people like uh, like us, right? Like this is this mm -hmm. is the goal line. This is exactly what we content creators do this. Uh, we do it for the impact. We do it for the culture. But ultimately, we want that mass distribution so that we can have more reach. So I love seeing these kind of deals because it's just that it's broadening the impact. Yeah, we got to have it. They need to give Riley, give the baby a show. Put Riley on there and let us hear her talk. Yeah. You know what? I'm interested in that. That's what I want. She's she's definitely the star of that family, right? Uh, she's yes, too cute yes. and got too much personality. I love it. Yes. So listen, also, Dustin, Don Cheadle, uh, who is, I think, extremely underrated, and this man needs all the flowers. Don Cheadle's company, Radical Act, has signed off for a development deal with HBO Max for a new dark comedy called Max. Now get this. This story is to center around a black millennial woman who's trying to juggle her intense professional life, intricate sex life, and all with a little bit of light sociopathic tendencies. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's <laughs> oh, not okay. about me, Dustin. I knew you were thinking that. <laughs> Don't be shady. It was not about me. Uh, Camilla Blanket is on board to show run. Um, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I actually love John Cheadle in Black Monday, uh, which is a Showtime mm -hmm. dark comedy. And so I'm very excited to see what he's going to do here. Again, Don Cheadle, one of those artists who can uh, explore the full spectrum of the range as far as acting is concerned. He can do comedy. He can do drama. I think it's going to be great. And you know what else he can do? He can call me for a role. I'd love to be a part of that project. So holla at me, Don. Actually, yeah, you and dark comedy is just meant to be. So because you're hilarious. We see that on Friends Zone. Yeah, we see it on <laughs> Friends Zone. Uh, folks are seeing it now on Holding Court as well. Uh, your work, writing on the read. That, that actually would be a very good look. I'm not mad at that at all, Dustin. I'm going to give a shout out to that. Thank you, Ebony. See, once again, we eye to eye right here, Ebony, me and you. See? Always, mm -hmm. baby, always. Now, last but never least, this week was the 2020 yes. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Uh, the iconic okay. Whitney Houston, of course, was, yeah, inducted and honored with a beautiful speech from Miss Alicia Keys. And then uh, the chairman, Mr. Puff himself, Diddy came through to honor one of the greatest rappers of all time, the one and only, the notorious B.I.G., making him only the seventh hip-hop artist to ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And during the in-memoriam part, of course, Andre the Great Harrell was highlighted. Dustin, uh, what do you think about the fact that only seven hip-hop artists have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, I think it's a shame because by definition, rock and roll and hip hop are essentially the same type of music as far as the energy, the feel and what they mean to culture. So there are so many rappers who should have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. But I'm so elated to hear that Biggie, the notorious B.I.G. was inducted. Who better yeah. to, uh, to, oh, to yeah. go now than him? You know, Biggie, this was his time. And so. Um, that was a wonderful move for them. And just, again, three greats, Whitney Houston, Andre Harrell, and Christopher Wallace. That's Black excellence. So it's, it's about time they were honored in that way. 
Indeed, Christopher Wallace is the only uh, Christopher uh, that we acknowledge on Columbus. Hello. So here hello. it is. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, Dustin <laughs> Ross, baby, thank you so much for helping us out with this week's Black Excellence and Entertainment. Always appreciate you and your work. All right, y'all, we got one final commercial break. Yeah, on the way. When we come back, Reese Colbert and Mike Harriet are going to join me to break down the House and Senate election results. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. We got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. So with the election results in, there is a lot to unpack, especially how it affects the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Here to help out is founder of Black Women Views Media, and she's a regular on the Roland Martin Unfiltered show, Reese Colbert. Also with us is author and podcaster, Michael Harriet. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so listen, y'all know that there's a lot of allegations coming from the Trump campaign. Now, most legal experts say the only one with even a shred of potential constitutional merit is around Pennsylvania, and it might go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, even if that, you know, supermajority, 6-3 conservative majority were to overturn Pennsylvania's result there, Trump would still need to win at least two of the outstanding uncalled states, despite being behind in both of those counts. Uh, Michael, I'll start with you. What's your opinion on what the end game is here around this, uh, these kind of outstanding outcomes? Yeah, well, first, we got to be clear that the Supreme Court can't overturn the uh, Pennsylvania results, not even the Pennsylvania results. They can say, well, these mail-in ballots that were received after a certain day can't be counted, or these separate uh, uh, voters or, or ballots can't be counted, but they can't just overturn uh, an election. And uh, mm-hmm. I think the end game for Trump, why all of this exists, is because of this, right? Be- that we're talking about it. I don't think Trump would ever admit that he lost, right? And so he he sowed this seed of doubt in the elections so that everyone else could, mm. uh, you know, half of the country now believes that these election results weren't real or weren't fair or were mm. rigged somehow, right? And that was his end game. I don't I don't think that he has any, you know, everybody has to tell him look, like we're not going to win. And I don't think winning or still uh, sitting in the White House is his goal. I think it is to sow the seeds of doubt so that when he is forced to leave, half of the country will say, look, they stole it from us. Not just from him, Mm -hmm. from us, from the Republican Party. Got it. Reese, your take on it? Yeah, I agree with Michael. Obviously, this is not about winning the election. There are only 10,000 ballots that came in that would even be eligible to be tossed out by the courts. And uh, the Biden-Harris ticket has a margin of well over 40,000 and growing with 40,000 additional Mm -hmm. provisional ballots that Biden-Harris are routing, just completely routing uh, Trump in. But what I think this is about, it's not just Trump who is keeping this going, by the way. It is the Republican Party. Mitch McConnell sat on the Senate floor and tried to delegitimize the election, one in which Biden-Harris have an overwhelming mandate. This is the largest margin of a challenger since FDR. There are over 5 million votes more for Biden-Harris than for Joe Biden, for uh, Trump and Pence. And so what this is really about is this is a propaganda campaign. Because be clear, they have lost 
12 out of 12 lawsuits. And they aren't even alleging voter fraud once they actually get in the courtroom. And so what the Republicans are trying to do here is they're trying to provide a pretext for denying any kind of mandate to the Biden-Harris administration to give them the cover to, to obstruct everything, go against the will of the people. And more importantly, we know what the Republicans are about is voter suppression. And so what they're gonna try to do with this these allegations is to try to sow doubt, particularly in the upcoming Georgia election with their mail-in ballots mm -hmm. and to, to increase and double down on their voter suppression tactics. So that's what this is really about. Certainly not about winning the election. Listen, I think you're both exactly right. We know Trump knows he's not going to be president anymore. And now it's just about undermining uh, the legitimacy of this election for the mandates, as you say, Reese, that are at play. Uh, speaking of Georgia, which you mentioned, we know that there are two outstanding Georgia Senate seats. Both are going to be subject, of course, to a runoff very soon. And listen, what we know about runoffs, special elections in general, uh, midterm elections even, they obviously have lower turnout than general elections. And lower turnout historically has favored Republicans. But we know uh, the good sister Stacey Abrams and Keisha Lance Bottom and many, many, many more that are doing work in Georgia have really changed that. Uh, we saw that already. The question is, will we see it again? Do y'all think that Georgia has the energy to sustain uh the vibes, so to speak, and make sure that those two Senate seats do turn blue so that to Reese's point, Michael, we will not see another Mitch McConnell-led obstructionist Senate as Biden-Harris take office. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I think I think we will see uh, a turnout that is, you know, it is going to be low. We can admit that. But I don't think that, mm -hmm. that it will necessarily be one-sided Right. So mm -hmm. think about this. Right. You have Republicans in Georgia who already believe like their votes don't count, who already believe mm -hmm. that the elections were rigged. And you have Democratic voters who already know that if they show up, they can win. You have Democratic voters who already know that we can't get our agenda passed unless mm -hmm. we get the Senate. So there's one side that has an incentive to turn up at the polls, and there's one side that really already believes that the, the, the die has been cast and their votes don't count. And so I think that we're going to see a replay of what happened in 2020, in the 2020 election. I think we might see what happened in the 2018 elections where Black voters turned up and voted for mm. Stacey Abrams. And of course, if it wasn't for the shenanigans then, she might be governor now. But I think that we don't have to worry about a lower black turnout because those white rural voters are the ones who are less likely to show up at the polls for this uh, runoff election. Yeah, Reese, I'm going to ask you that. What would your message be uh, to the voters of Georgia? Uh, I, I think Michael laid out the, the incentive scenarios. One, one part, of course, the Democratic voters are going to be incentivized, or any voter, period, that supported Biden-Harris. That coalition is incentivized to get this Senate to get the mandates done. Then there's the other side of the state, half the state roughly, that is incentivized only to obstruct. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your message to Georgia voters on this on this notion? My message would be complete the work. You know, as Dorinda Clark Cole mm -hmm. was saying, you cannot give up now. You guys handed the Biden-Harris ticket, the, uh, the administration, However, they cannot get anything accomplished in a Mitch McConnell speakership and so our um, Senate Majority Leader. And so I think that what the, the, unfortunately for the Georgia Democrats and for the Georgia populace, the election is not over for them. 
But the genius part about it is that they really showed up and showed up when it came to early, early voting and absentee ballot, mm -hmm. something that the Republicans continue to delegitimize. Black people know better. OK, our votes count, as Michael said. And so I think as long as the Democrats really hone in on a Georgia specific message, forget about these food fights about progressive versus centrist, stick with what works in the actual mm -hmm. state of California, stick to a stronger economic message, stick to health care, which is in front of the Supreme Court. We don't know what will happen with that until June. And I think that they will have a winning message, but they got to keep it local and resist the temptation to nationalize this, um, this actual special election. Reese, Michael, thank you both so much for helping break down the election results and how that impacts Congress. We appreciate you and your time. Now, earlier in the show, Damon Hewitt dropped a lot of gems, and we want to hit you quickly with the resource he wanted to share. So listen, y'all go to 866ourvote.org. You can get all kinds of information on how to vote in your state. It not only keeps you up to date on the upcoming elections, but it tells you how to protect your vote when the time comes. And on that note, we're going to get to the Georgia Senate runoffs because, y'all, this is important. It's imperative. The work is not done. So I want to leave you with a couple of key dates. So first, November 5th, that was the date that requesting absentee ballots began. So listen, go ahead and request yours right now if you haven't already. November 18th, that's the earliest day a registrar can mail an absentee ballot. December 7th, this is the deadline for voter registration. December 7th. December 14th is when advanced in person, or as we call it, early voting begins. And January 5th is election day. So listen, if you are a Georgia resident, please ensure that you and your family and your friends, all y'all, do everything you can to cast your ballot. And if you don't live in Georgia, you're not a Georgia resident, call all your friends and family in Georgia and make sure they are registered and that they know all the deadlines that we just ran down for y'all. Especially young folks, listen, if you are currently 17 and you are a Georgia resident, but you will turn 18 by January 5th, you are eligible to vote in this runoff. Now listen, this might seem like a local election to some, but not for us. Nah, this is a national black election, make no mistake about it. Joe and Kamala being in the White House will mean very little if they have an obstructionist Mitch McConnell ran Senate. We learned that if we didn't learn shit else from this Trump White House. So listen, everybody, we gotta come through for Georgia because in this general election, Georgia, came through for us. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.